Amen. I got to say, I have not heard that song uh, in a long time. And uh, that was actually uh, my mom's favorite hymn. And uh, I think it's because she liked the version that Elvis did. And so, like, I don't know if she loved the hymn as much as she loved Elvis. I'm still not sure where that line was. It was a gray area, to say the least. Um, if you never knew my mom, uh, she went home to be with the Lord in 2007. And she was just a little obsessed with Elvis. Just just a smidge obsessed. Uh, when I was about 10 years old, I threw back the shower curtain in our bathroom, and I discovered the bust, the Elvis bust that we had in our house. Who has this in their home? But anyway... Um, she used to put it in there and use the shower to clean it off and stuff, but she didn't tell me she moved it from her shrine in her one room to the bathroom. It's a pretty terrifying thing when you throw back a shower curtain as a 10 year old kid and there's Elvis looking up at you. And we're not talking like just his face. It was like from his chest all the way up. And it was like this wide. It was life it had to be life size. It was just insane. Um, but I can't think of that song without thinking of that situation in my life and my childhood. Um, but that was really good. That was awesome. Um, I'm just praising the Lord that he walks with us and that he spends time with us. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful rendition of that hymn. Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to say that, that you guys were better than the rest of the praise team because I would never say that. And this is on camera, so I'm not saying that. But that was really good, guys. Thank you for leading us that way. Open your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 5. Um, Galatians chapter 5. And I want to dive into a passage here, just really a couple of verses that um, fit today in some ways, but I pray goes well beyond some national holiday that we celebrate. Um, I'm excited to dive in to this passage and rediscover or maybe discover a new, maybe just be affirmed, maybe just encouraged or reminded uh, that you are free in Christ, uh, that we are free in Christ. Christ. And I'm just so excited to be able to share that with us this morning. And, and also, not only are we free in Christ because of his grace, but we're free in Christ because of his love for us. He loves you exactly as you are, and he desires to save you and redeem you when you give your life to him and you receive by faith the grace that he offers and that love that he extends. That love begins to shape us and mold us and change us into the image of Christ. And he doesn't do this because we're lovable. He does this because he is our creator who loves us. And I'm so thankful that he chose to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, that we may be free. The Bible is pretty clear that when we receive the truth, when we know the truth, that we will be set free. And the amazing thing in John's gospel is the truth is identified as Jesus Christ himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So see, it's not just knowledge of information that sets us free although knowledge is power and can be freeing, it's the knowledge and the reality of who Christ is in us. It's knowing the truth personified in the person of Christ. Last week, uh, our Word of Life missionary, Mike Van Bruggen, shared a powerful and challenging message with us, which I, I still all week was thinking about and just encouraged by. Uh, but one thing that, he stood out, that stood out to me in his talk last week that I really just couldn't get away from this week was the reality that God has created us with a divine purpose that we don't get to choose why we are here in this world, but that God has chosen that for us and for us as believers in Christ. He took us to Genesis and it says that, that when God was speaking amongst the Godhead to create mankind, there was a purpose before creation. He didn't create us and then say, okay, mankind, now what do you want to do with all this that I've given you? 
He doesn't create us and then say, here's what I want you to do. He determines the purpose and then creates us to fulfill that purpose. And that, I love the way Mike shared that last week. It was so moving to me to just be reminded that I don't get to choose why I'm here today. I don't get to choose that. Now, we get to make choices in our daily life of how we live our day. Of course, we understand that. But the overarching purpose and motivation for why I exist has been determined by God. God said, this is why I made you. And I love the way he summarized it last week. To basically reflect his glory. To reflect him in this world and all that we do. Now, I know if you're like me, if you were sitting here last week and you were with us or you watched it online. When he was saying all of that, you're probably sitting thinking like, wow, I know I have not done that well in every aspect of my life, in the last day, week, month, year, whatever. If we're really honest, if we hear the purpose for our existence is to reflect the very glory of God and all that we say and do, I think many of us, if not all of us, instantly become aware of all the times we didn't do that in the last week. That conversation where you should have went this way, but you went that way. That thing you probably shouldn't have watched, but you did anyway, and now you realize that didn't really reflect his glory. The way you thought of another person in the church or out of the church. Those, those thoughts of bitterness or envy. Maybe you had judgmental thoughts towards somebody else or critical thoughts of someone else and you were judgmental of them and, and you knew that wasn't really reflecting the glory of God as God would have you to do it. But I'm so thankful that when we are aware of those failings in our life, it doesn't change the purpose he has for our life. See, we can recognize and go, God, I really messed up on that one. I should have said this. And man, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, why did I say it that way? I know I need to reflect your glory. And it's not like he goes, oh, it's okay, no big deal. He says, no, 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 thank you for recognizing that you failed there. That's sin. You called it sin. You repent of that sin. Turn back to me and now watch my grace restore you and lift you up. See, that's the freedom we have in that relationship with Christ. We can go to him. You know, one of the greatest freedoms you have in Christ is you don't have to go through someone to get to Christ. That's one of the freeing things in Christ. That's one of the greatest blessings. I don't have to go to some guy in a box and tell him all my stuff. And then he goes to Jesus and tells Jesus. And then Jesus tells him. And then he tells me. And then I pick up a bead and I pray some things. I don't have to go through all that. I'm free in Christ. And the reason I'm free in Christ is because we are in Christ. I love that phrase in scripture. In Christ. Within Christ. Implanted. The word baptized means to submerge into, to plunge into. When you got saved, the Spirit of God took you outside the body of Christ and baptized you into the body of Christ. The, the Spirit of God submerged you into the body of Christ, into Christ Himself. And that's what we have in this freedom. Now we get to live that out. And I pray that this morning, as we unpack just a couple of verses, that you are encouraged in what that may look like for you. Again, we exist as followers of Christ to reflect his glory in our lives and to share the truth of the gospel with others. I believe we show that love by serving one another. That love you have for Christ and that love you have for others, I believe is demonstrated by serving one another, those in the church and those outside of the church walls. It is needful that we say the words when sharing the gospel. But it is just as vital that we display the gospel as well. I'm so excited that uh, in August, it's not in the bulletin yet, it's a little early out. In August, some of you remember we've done this a couple years ago, we're going to do our water giveaway. Uh, August 14th, I believe, is the day of the parade for the MLA City um, celebration, which I'm not going to say the word. 
It's, what is it, 150? Pastor Greg, how do you say the word? What? Anthony, say it. There you go. If you didn't hear it, I'm sorry. Talk to him after service, okay? Yes, you should applaud that because that's a big word. I don't know why we're making words like that. Just why? Why do we need to do that? That's just, that's just dumb. Just call it what it is. Okay, anyway. So there's a big celebration. It used to be the Blueberry Fest. Then it was Busker Fest or Busker Parade or whatever. Um, and so a couple years ago, we started going around and just handing out bottled water. Uh, before the parade starts to all the people lining the street waiting for the parade. And in 2018, we gave away something like 220 bottles of water. Um, and they all labeled uh, with the church name, website, uh, just some basic service times, real simple. And we just went to just be a blessing and just kind of that whole cup of water serving idea from the New Testament. So we just went out. It was really hot, so it worked great. 2019, and we tried to do this. It was like 62 degrees in August, you believe that? And so we gave out like maybe, I don't know, a hundred bottles of water. People were asking for hot chocolate, tea, coffee. They were like, I don't need water, but if you got something warm to drink. And I was like, no, we ain't got nothing like that. Um, and so this year with last year being, they, they didn't have the parade. And so this year they're starting it back up again. So we're going to go out August 14th and we're just going to have a couple people. It's going to be a small team that's going to go out and just hand out bottled water. It's going to be great. Well, and I was talking with Mike Van Bruggen a little bit about this before, and he got talking to Pastor Greg, and the student ministry is going to actually have uh, the Word of Life missionary and another individual that works with them. They're going to come in a couple weeks before, and they're going to do some training on open-air evangelism. And so we're going to have some students have the opportunity to go either out and among the crowd or maybe one location kind of set up somewhere. We're not sure yet all the details, but uh, if you mentioned, if you were here last week, Mike mentioned uh, something he was excited about, an opportunity in August. This is what he was referring to. And so as we're out handing out water and having some conversations with people, we're going to be encouraging them either to go back to one location and our students are going to have an opportunity it's completely students. They're not going to have an adult right next to them telling them what to say. They're going to do this. And that's why I'm so excited that Mike's going to come and do some training for the students that want to be a part of this. And they're going to actually train and how to evangelize for Christ right there. And so I'm so excited for this event because here's what it is. It's not just going out and saying, you need Jesus. It's, hey, how can I serve you? Now let me tell you about Jesus. And I think we have to have that combination in our lives. And I know I'm just being honest with you guys. I can struggle with this at times. I can struggle with this. And I know what you're going to think. As a pastor, no way. I, and I'm not bragging. It's just how God has gifted me. And I, it's all the glory goes to him. I absolutely love serving. I love it. I'll do anything. I love it. The idea of just going and helping someone, that's so cool to me. But in my Christian life, if I'm honest, the hardest thing in my Christian life has been to actually go up to someone and share the gospel. And it's taken a lot of years of God working on me to get me to a point where I'm comfortable to do that. But still, to this day, it's still one of the scarier things in my Christian walk. I'm just being real with you guys. I mean, I'll serve you until forever. Like, I don't care. I'll do whatever you need. But to say the words, oh, that's a little more intimidating. For some of you, it's the opposite. For some of you, you can talk to a tree and get them to get saved. Like, you can, you can witness to that chair, and it's falling down, getting baptized in the spirit. It's like this beautiful moment. For you, you could talk to anybody. But maybe the service side is a little lacking. You're great at expounding the word of God. You're great at taking the scriptures and expounding them. But it, they don't really know you love them because you're not really serving them. But they know you know of a love. So maybe for you, it's the other side. 
for me, it tends to go the other way, where I'd rather serve than actually say anything, which I know you're thinking, but you're a pastor. Listen, we all have things we battle with. We're all intimidated in certain ways in this life. Now, I do love sharing Christ, and I love when somebody comes to know Christ and hearing them pray that prayer in their own words for the very first time. There's nothing like it. But if I'm being real this morning, we all have areas in our Christian life where it's either the serving or the sharing we tend to kind of be more intimidated with. And so this morning, I want to encourage us to use our freedom to serve. I want to look back at a passage we looked at a few weeks ago. And a couple weeks ago, towards the end of May, we looked at this passage and we emphasized in an aspect, the negative aspect of this passage in our lives. We talked about the cancer of gossip. I think it was second to last Sunday in May or the last Sunday in May. And if you missed it, you can go back online and check that out, the cancer of gossip. But we looked at this passage and we kind of talked about the phrase in there, the bite and devouring that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. But I want to go back up to chapter 5, verse 13 of Galatians. I'm going to read these two verses and talk a little bit about How do we look at the positive aspect of this passage? We see the negative, how it's played out in our lives, and we talked about that. But this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like to use our liberty and freedom to serve others. Verse 13, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you most for your word, that we can open its pages and within it find truth, guidance, and direction. Lord, I'm so thankful that all of us in this room, Lord, we have different things in this life that you call us to that intimidate us. We feel like we're not good enough. We feel like we couldn't really do it the way other people do it. So why even try? There's so many things, Lord. Some in here are scared to death to stand and to teach a passage of Scripture. Some in here would rather clean the whole church top to bottom every day of the week than to share a devotion because it's just not, they're just scared of it, Lord. They're just intimidated by it. And we all have things like that where, where we know maybe you're calling us to step into this area, but we're just so intimidated by it. Well, maybe for some here, Lord, it's sharing the gospel. Maybe it's not sharing the words, but maybe it's stepping out of ourselves, getting out of our routine, getting out of our schedule, and, and looking for opportunities to serve either in or out of the church. And Lord, I pray that we would know that, that one of the greatest examples of the gospel is service. Lord, in your ministry, if we really had to summarize your earthly ministry, there's two key things that you did. You taught the word of God and you taught it unashamedly. You, you did it without compromise. You, you, were, you preached the same message whether you were with the Pharisee or the woman at the well. You customized it to where they were in their life, Lord, but it was the same message. And so you preached the message and then also, Lord, you served. Every miracle that you did, yes, exemplified the fact that you were deity, that you were God and of the divine, that you were the son of God and had power over all of creation. But Lord, also it served and blessed those that you healed, those that you took care of. Lord, when you stood from the table at the last supper and you girded yourself with that towel and you began to wash the disciples' feet, that's what you demonstrated to us. You demonstrated a heart of service for one another. Yes, you preached truth and you lived truth. But Lord, that truth was not left alone, but there was service alongside of it. A loving compassion for others. 
And so, Lord, I I pray that we would do what Philippians chapter 2 says, that we would let this mind be in us that was in Christ, that we would humble ourselves, look to you, and look for opportunities. Father, we pray that you would continue to be with Julie Johnson, Lord, as she is recovering from her surgery. Thank you, Lord, that she is doing so well so fast. Lord, getting to see her up and around. Um, Lord, it's just so cool to see your power and your healing at work. And, and I pray that you'd comfort her and continue to heal and be with Randy as well and all that's gone on around that with the family trying to step in and take care of things, Lord. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for Julie. Lord, she is such a great example to so many, myself included, of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Not just teaching and serving and those things, Lord, but she does those things in her very own home by serving her husband, taking care of him, being there for him, Lord. And I'm just so thankful for that example of love and compassion that we see in her. And I just thank you for her family, Lord. I thank you for her church family that have stepped up and helped in so many ways. Father, we, we're so thankful for this morning, and I pray that you would lead God and direct on all these things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as a church, uh, it's in our bulletin, it's on the wall of the office. Uh, as our church, our mission statement is to be a kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. A kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. And that's a great statement. So It's a good, well-rounded summary statement of our mission as a church. But I pray that for us, it is more than just a statement for us as a church. I pray it is something we go into every day asking God to grow us in our lives in one of those areas. Either that we would love him more, love others more, or love serving more. Wherever it is that God is calling us in that day. And I know, let me just step back a second. All of that is an overflow of our relationship with Christ. So many times we focus on one area. Lord, and I shared with you guys that sometimes I have struggled in my Christian life with an intimidated factor of sharing Christ. I can go into my prayer life and go, God, give me more boldness to preach the gospel. And, and that's a good prayer. But, but maybe as I've stepped back over the years and I've looked into God's word, maybe the prayer should be, Lord, help me to know you so well and to grow in your word so well and to know you so well and to have that confidence in you because I know who you are, that that would give me the strength to share the truth that I know. See, it's all an overflow of that daily relationship, that time with him, that time of just inter, uh, him interceding for us and us praying to him and asking him to strengthen us. Then we'll find ourselves loving God, loving others, and loving to serve. It's an overflow. But we do need to ask God, God, grow me in these areas as well. The first thing we have to understand as we talk about uh, that we are free to serve is understanding that we are called to freedom. We are actually called to freedom. In Galatians chapter 5, look again at verse 13. For, brethren, and so to the believers, you have been called unto liberty. That word called means to call aloud in a loud voice to invite. And I love that. Paul is saying you have been called unto liberty. It's as though Jesus Christ is calling aloud to you in Christ saying, come, I invite you into this relationship, into this liberty, into this freedom. You've been called aloud. You're invited into this relationship. Paul explains to the church that we are free in Christ. We are called to live in this freedom. 
It's an invitation into a relationship. And so what have we been freed from? What have we been freed from? Well, just a couple things to encourage us this morning. And I know we had a lot of people out of town right now, so I hope you'll help me out through the sermon this morning. But I want to get, just share a couple of things that we've been freed from this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this gets me excited when I realize how and why I'm free from these things. So, first of all, we are free from the guilt of sin. Uh, we are free from the guilt of sin. Why? Because we experienced God's forgiveness. He invites us into freedom because no longer are you under the guilt of sin. You have been freed from that. You are free from the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? Death. What is that death? Romans 6.23, separation from God for all of eternity. That I am not going to suffer an eternity separated from God in a place called hell in torment. I'm not going to go through that because I've been freed from the penalty of sin. And why is that? Because Christ died for us. See, we, we are free from the guilt of sin because we've experienced God's forgiveness. We're free from the penalty of sin because Christ died for us. He died in our place, by the way. He didn't die because he did anything wrong. He died because we did everything wrong. He died in our place. He took our place. And then I'm also free from the power of sin. And how is it that I'm free from the power of sin? The power of sin over me to dictate to me how to do this or that or how to think or how to live or how to act. I'm free from the power of sin through the Spirit's equipping in my life. That man, by the power of God's salvation, he has given me his Spirit. And now that Spirit lives in me. In this very passage that we just read, Galatians chapter 5, tells us that if we will walk in the Spirit, if we will live in the Spirit, if we'll have a connection with the Spirit, that means he's given it to us. Now we live in that. We allow the Spirit to have more of us that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That if you want to have freedom from the power of sin, it's not do better. It's not make this, do that. Get rid of this and have more of that. It's just dive into the connection with Jesus Christ and allow his Spirit to lead you. And you will be set free from the power of sin. I'm not saying boundaries are bad. I'm not saying there shouldn't be boundaries in our lives. But I feel so many believers are putting Band-Aids on, on, on missing limbs. And they're thinking, that's going to cover it. No, 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 I'm good. But if we're not spending time with him and growing in that relationship and allowing the Spirit of God to strengthen us, we will stumble right back into whatever sin we thought we had victory over. Because the power of sin over us is only removed because of the Spirit's equipping in our lives. And by the way, temptation will remain. I've never met one believer who, by God's grace, overcame a, a besetting sin or, or a sin that they kind of battled with in their lives that never experienced where the temptation was gone. It might go away for a season, but so many people have talked about, well, God took it away. And then five years down the road, they go, I don't even know what happened. It was like, bam, it just came back. Not the sin, but the temptation. See, because we got this flesh stuff. And we've got this enemy out here who will keep baiting the hook and keep casting it out to us. What does James say? That there's a lust in us that desires to sin. And then we have an enemy out here who's just tempting us with that bait. Come on. You know you want? Bite it. Come on. And so how do I find victory over sin in my life? By just getting deeper into God's word and just spending time with him. It's not bury our hands in the sand. It's growing in that relationship so the spirit of God can strengthen me. And when temptation comes, as it will, we look to him and we say, God, I need you. Because you are the one that has been faithful to give me a way of escape. 
You are the one that says that there is no temptation taking me but that which is common to man, and you are faithful to get me through this. That you will help me to bear up under this temptation. He doesn't say he's going to take it away. He says he'll strengthen you to be able to endure the temptation. And guess what? We come out the other side refined for his glory. And so God is so good in that through salvation, through this wonderful gift of salvation, we have been freed from the guilt of sin, the penalty of sin, and the power of sin. And not only has he freed us from sin and all the aspects of that in our lives, Romans chapter 6, we are actually dead to sin. We're the ones that go and resurrect that in our lives. We are actually dead to sin. It does not have any power over us except for the power that we give it. We are also freed from the law that burdened so many for so long in the sense of trying to live up under this righteous standing that we can never fulfill. You see, the reason we are freed from the law is because Christ bore the curse of the law and fulfilled it completely, ending the need to try and do it ourselves. It's interesting when you read, we went through Acts chapter 15 here a few weeks ago on a Sunday night, and we talked about this kind of division in the early church where some of the Jewish believers were telling the Gentile believers that they had to follow the law. Uh, They had to do these certain things. We're not going to get into all the details, but they had to do these certain things and follow these certain things and get back under the law. Because if you're a Gentile and you're not under the law, are you even saved? I mean, this was a division in the church. And we're talking Acts 15. The church is pretty young and they're already misunderstanding and, and misapplying the truths of Scripture. They're already missing the whole point of the gospel. Well, yeah, you say you're saved, but have you followed the law? Because if you're not following the law, then are you really saved? And this goes all the way to the church of Jerusalem. It's a council, one of the first church councils that we read of in scripture. And there's these great leaders, James and Peter and Paul are all there and they're discussing this thing. And I love that one of the Pharisee Jews, one of the leaders of this group that believed they needed to be under the law, he's saved, he's a believer, but he's still stuck in this old way of thinking. He actually says that they need to do this. And I love what Peter says in Acts chapter 15. I don't remember the exact verse, but right towards the beginning part of the chapter, maybe about halfway through, he stands and he basically accuses them of putting on these new believers, these Gentile believers, something that they couldn't even do. And then he says, and your fathers also couldn't do this. And I've always loved that in Acts 15, because here these guys are saying, yeah, you say you're saved, but you got to do this got to check that box. Yeah, but you don't look like what I think you should look like. You don't dress like I think you should dress. You don't listen to what I think you should listen to. You do these things that sometimes can be a law in our lives. And some believers were actually questioning the salvation of these people because of this. And I love that Peter stands and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we get too far down this road, and before we think ourselves too highly, before we forget, you guys all realize none of us could keep the law. That's why we needed Jesus. And by the way, none of your fathers could keep the law. And yet he goes on to say, it's grace. He says, it's grace that we need to look at. And it's the gospel that we need to centralize on. And so, yes, we're freed from sin. But believer, you are freed from the law. You don't have to wake up every day and go, man, I hope I do enough today to keep my salvation. I hope I do enough today to still be good in his sight. I hope he doesn't get too mad at me because I didn't follow every little thing to the letter. No, 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 no. Part of the freedom you have in Christ is free from that bondage of weight, of fear. No, he keeps you. He keeps you. Paul then warns them to use their freedom well. He warns them to use their freedom well. 
And so he encourages them that they're called unto liberty, that they're called unto freedom, and then he gives a warning. He says, basically, do not use your freedom for sinful indulgence. For sinful indulgence. That little phrase in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, speaks to the warning, and I love what one commentator said about this, the warning of not giving the flesh the handle or pretext for its indulgence, which it eagerly seeks for. A side reference you can jot down, this same phrase and wording occurs in Romans chapter 7, verse 8, when Paul talks about that occasion of the flesh. And so what's Paul's warning here? Paul is warning the believers, don't use your liberty, your freedom in Christ, because you are free from sin. You are free from this law. You don't have to do these things to be saved. If you receive Christ, repent of your sin, and you are saved. He warns them, now don't use that freedom as an occasion for an indulgence in the sinful flesh. So while Paul does warn the believers, we have to be on guard against this because the temptation is there to say, well, if I can do it, why shouldn't I do it? If I don't have to check all the boxes to be saved, then why? What's wrong with going and doing this? Paul's warning, no, no, don't, your, your thinking is all wrong. And we're going to talk about that in a minute here. He's warning them, don't use it to fulfill a sinful indulgence. And while Paul does warn the believers, this does not remove the reality of our freedom in Christ. The warning does not negate the freedom. We all have freedoms in this world, in our lives. Certain age, at certain ages, you have different levels of freedom. When you were seven, you had different levels of freedom than when you were 17, right? And 27, and so on. And so in the same way, just because there's a warning that couples with our freedom doesn't remove the freedom. Uh, we live in Marlette now, and there's sidewalks everywhere. We lived on 21 before, and there was no sidewalk, just a little gravel shoulder. So my kids, uh, when they were living on 21, I said, if you want to ride your bike, we need to go through the backyard, cut across this one place to Black's Corners, and you can ride down that way because 21 is just crazy. So the, the freedom was you can go ride your bike, but here's a stipulation with that. Now we live in a different area where there's more freedom to do that without risk of injury. So now it's like, hey, ride your bike all around the blocks in the neighborhoods. I don't really care. Get out of my house. No, uh, sometimes <laughs> it's like, you're back again. Do you need something? Like you already ate. What do you want? Go find something to do. Um, anyone else's parents ever locked the door when they went outside when you were a kid? Anyone ever do that? My parents would be like, they would literally lock the door. I'd come back. And I look in the window, and they're just sitting in there, like, watching TV, hanging out. And I'm, like, in the, you know, outside in this 90-degree weather, like, dying, you know, and very dramatic. And I'm knocking on the door, and they're like, nope, come back in two hours when it's time to eat again. I'm like, oh, okay, let's find something to do outside. Here's a stick and a rock. I guess I'll play with this. I don't know. But when you think about that, the freedoms change based on certain conditions, right? This is common sense. We understand this. Giving them the warning of, hey, just be aware this might be something you're tempted with. Be aware of that. It doesn't take away the freedom. It's saying, use your freedom with wisdom. It's have wisdom as you exercise your freedom. And we see that in our own country today. We have lots of freedoms that we pray people will use wisdom while they're exercising their freedoms. And so the warning does not take away the freedom. 
on the other side of this, some fear that if believers know they are free, they will run headlong into sin. However, I think that those that ignore the freedom we have in Christ, the reality that we are forgiven by his grace and not by works, I can't earn it, so therefore I can't lose it. Those that ignore the freedom we have in Christ truly do not understand his grace. The argument usually goes like this. If you remove all rules and regulations, you will create chaos and anarchy. If a believer uses their liberty for sin, which believers have, if a believer uses their liberty for sin, it is not a failure of God's grace. It is a failure of men and their reliance on the true grace of God. So here's what we're saying. While, yes, we have freedom in Christ, we're free from the law, we're saved apart from our works, there is the warning given to us by Paul to say, be careful because your flesh is going to try to tempt you to use that freedom as an indulgence for sin. Don't go there. It's not going to end well for you. There's going to be consequences. Scripture spends a lot of time talking about that. But that warning still means we're still free. We're still free in Christ. So we don't go, oh, nope, I'm not free because there's a possibility I may sin. No, we say, no, I am free in Christ. Now, Holy, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom as I live this life to exercise this freedom in a way that pleases you and doesn't please my flesh. It's using our freedom with wisdom given by him. And I truly believe that when people fear this, they're not really understanding the grace that saved them and they're not understanding the grace that is offered to them. And listen, you've been in churches, I've been in churches, you've heard preaching, I've heard preaching where it's all about rules and regulations and this and that. And it's almost like if I create a list big enough of all the do's and don'ts that'll keep you from ever sinning, we're winning. But you're not really winning because you're not really living. You're not really living in the freedom of Christ. Because by the way, there isn't a list big enough. By the way, that was the whole point of the law, was it not? Here's all these commands. Some would argue 613 commands can't fulfill any of them. And what happened was when people did think they were fulfilling them, they just got pride and arrogant and walked away from God anyway. And I would suggest to you in some places in our world today, especially in the church, there are believers who have lived under these kind of rules for so long, they think they're actually better than you. They're arrogant. Well, I don't do that. And I do this. And I don't do that. So really what it is, it's the modern day Pharisee. Yeah, you say you're saved, but until you conform to what I think you should be doing, you're not really saved. And it's not based in scripture, it's based in preference. So here we see this argument being presented, but Paul's encouraging us to realize we are free. We must see the love and grace of God in Christ as sufficient and fulfilling. I encourage somebody to write that down. I don't know if that's going to encourage anyone this week, but I hope it will. We must see the love and grace of God in Christ as sufficient and fulfilling. Only then will we see the temptations of the world and sin for the weak and unfulfilling substitutes they attempt to be in our lives. When we really understand and dive into the love and grace of God in Christ as sufficient and fulfilling, we will then see the temptations of this world and the temptation to sin for the weak and unfulfilling substitutes they attempt to be in our lives. And you want to have power over sin as a believer, man, just dive deep into the grace and love of God for you and realize, man, he loved me this much to give himself for me. I want to reflect the glory of God in my life. 
and these things that are tempting me, these things that are pulling at me, they're, they're weak and unfulfilling. They're substitutes. It's like the bag cereal versus the name brand cereal. You know what I'm saying? It's like the, the rice or the crispy rice instead of the rice krispies. It's close, but it's not nearly as fulfilling. I'm apparently no cereal lovers in here to get an amen out of that. That's fine. We'll keep moving on. Mac and cheese. Maybe we'll use that illustration. The craft versus the, well, I used to use the Spartan brand, but whatever, the great value brand, right? There's just, that's what I mean. It's just, it's a substitute. It looks good. It sounds good. It seems even like it might be pleasing to you. But then once you give into it, you realize this is nothing like what I already have in Christ. Man, what I have in him is so much greater than this. And so how do we use our freedom with wisdom? We dive headlong into the person of Christ and we'll be aware of all these things that want to pull us away in the flesh. One author said it well. The amazing thing about love, speaking of this love from Christ to us, the amazing thing about love is that it takes the place of all the laws God ever gave. This is what he says here. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself solves every problem in human relations. That's a pretty bold statement. Now we know, how do I love my neighbor as myself? I have to first love God with all of me, right? So we understand in that context, I love God with all of me. I know he loves me. Now out of that flows what? A love for my neighbor. Wasn't this Jesus's whole point with the story of the good Samaritan? The Samaritan really wasn't all that good, was he? He was just doing what any of us should really do. The fact that he was hero, a hero in that story means that the others weren't, doing what they were supposed to do. But here, I love this. When he says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself solves every human problem or every problem in human relations. Every conflict can be solved quickly when we realize I'm just going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to show grace and compassion to my neighbor as I, I want it shown to me. This was Jesus's teaching with the golden rule. Basically, when we realize to just love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to see them differently, Right? I'm going to think of them differently. I'm going to pray for them differently. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to them differently. I'm going to talk about them differently. Christians, the Moody commentary goes on to say in relation to this idea, Christians are never said to do or practice the law. Instead, when they love, they accomplish its real purpose through the Spirit's energizing work. Now, I know some are thinking, well, what about the moral law? We're still not supposed to kill each other. We're not supposed to commit adultery. Yes, I understand that. When people say the law and do the law, it's referring to that weight of the law in the Old Testament. The dietary law, the religious laws, the ceremonial laws, all those things. And it's saying, listen, we're freed from that because Christ fulfilled all that. Now we live in the freedom of Christ. And now I don't need a law to tell me not to kill someone because I have Christ in me, the spirit in me, the word of God before me. And if I'm loving my neighbor as myself, as I'm called to do in Christ, I'm not going to need a law to say, now don't kill them. Because I don't want to kill them. In fact, I want to pray for them and serve them and share the gospel with them and love on them. That's the whole point of what Moody was saying, or the Moody commentary was saying there. We don't need a law to dictate how to live. We are living already in the person of Christ who will equip us and energize us to do what he's called us to do. But it starts and ends with our relationship with him. Our freedom is not a license to sin, but an opportunity to serve. Our freedom is not a license to sin, but an opportunity to serve. Paul actually gives a command here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. 
For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. And I love when I read that word called, now I think of a calling, like somebody yelling aloud, inviting someone into this relationship. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Don't give your flesh the opportunity to fulfill its indulgences. We don't want to create that. We want to guard against that. Then he says this, but by love, serve one another. The way that's written is a form of a command. Go serve one another. And what is our motivation to serve one another? In love or by love. Paul issues a command only after we understand our call. Paul issues a command only after we understand our call. If we do not understand that we are already free in Christ, then we will fall into the trap of serving to gain the favor of God. We will also fall into the trap of doing out of fear, not letting our actions be an overflow of the love we have received in Christ. We do it because we're afraid. If we don't do it, we're going to lose our our salvation. We do not, as followers of Christ, operate out of a fear or threat that if we do not do this or that, God will strip away our salvation from us. We operate out of the fulfilling presence of Christ in our lives as we trust the finished work of the cross. I want to go to one more passage as we kind of wrap up this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, Paul issues a command only after we understand our call. If we know the call, we're already free in Christ. That's finished in the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Now I live in the overflow of that and I love my neighbor as myself. I serve with a motivation of love. So also we see here in 1 Corinthians nine nineteen, Christ's love in us drives us. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. This is Paul writing here. And again, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but it's a powerful passage dealing with some of these issues that, or some of these things we've been talking about in the Galatians. And it's also important to note that the church of Galatia was being tempted to live under the law. That was one of their uh, main reasons, one of the main reasons Paul wrote to the church of Galatia because they were being told by others that you needed to be under the law, you had to come back unto the law, that it was the law that saves mixed with grace. And so Paul's whole emphasis is reminding them of the power of grace. And in fact, if I remember correctly, and I'll I'll correct this next week if I am wrong here, but I'm almost sure of this, I'm pretty sure the book of Galatians is the only letter where he calls a church foolish. He says, you foolish Galatians. Now, if you're going to call a church foolish, it's going to be the church of Corinth. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they were the ones like suing each other, inappropriate relationships going on, uh, misusing the gifts of the Spirit, abusing the Lord's Supper, uh, favoritism among the speakers and teachers, well, I'm of Paul and they're of Apollos. Uh, just horrible things going on in this church. And nowhere does he call them foolish. But the Galatians who are mixing law and grace, he says, oh, you foolish Galatians. Because he understood the minute we give a foothold to that kind of thinking, we're going to create a situation where grace becomes vain in our lives. It loses its weight over us. And we start to think, oh, I'm really the one that's doing this. I'm really the one that's keeping this salvation thing going. I'm really the one that's good. I'm not as bad as those. I'm better than you think. 
he understood that that pride, that root of pride, is much more damaging than even some of the things we see in the church or Corinth. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, Paul writes an amazing statement here. For though I be free from all men, he said, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, acknowledging that he is, quote, free from all men. What this really means is free from the power of all men. I'm freed from the power of all men. Basically, what Paul was saying was Paul was not a slave to anyone, humanly speaking, and therefore could make his own choices. He's saying, listen, I'm freed from all men. I'm not, a, I'm not bound to any man. I'm free. I'm completely free. I can make my own choices, decide how I want to live my life. And yet he says, by choice, he is a servant unto all, so that he may gain the more. It's a pretty bold statement. No man has power over me. I'm completely free. And yet with my freedom, I choose to serve all. And why? Why did Paul serve all? And you can read, he gives examples of how that service went into practice for him. But the more that Paul was hoping to gain was not selfish reward or fame. Now, he would be rewarded, obviously, as we all will be, as we stand before Christ for the things we do for Christ. He speaks to that regard. I believe we'll take all those rewards and just pour them back at the the foot of the Savior and say, no, it's really you that did all this. I didn't do anything. But that's not his motivation here. It was that others may come to know and grow in Christ. He makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 9, 23. All that he says he does to them that are under the law, I I tried to go with the law. To those that were out of the law, I went without the law. So I tried to go and, and shape this message, this gospel, so that it would make sense for them. I went preaching the same message, never changes, the message never changes, but I tried to create common ground with them so they would understand. I went to, I mean, an example would be I went to the synagogue and I debated from the scriptures, from the law, from the prophets, who Christ was. I went to the marketplace. And I use that to try to get them to understand using, even in Acts 17, he quotes a poet of that group, that region. He says, your own poets have said. So he's using different things to try to create common ground for one purpose. And what is the purpose in verse 23? And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. He's saying the whole reason I do this is so that you may know the gospel, that you may know Christ and know what the gospel really is. Paul had a love for others because of Christ's love in him and for him. And if I'm being honest, I'm so thankful for our church because I believe our church is that kind of church. Now, is our church perfect? Absolutely not. And if you think you're ever going to find a perfect church, I hate to break your bubble. I hate to disappoint you, but it's not going to happen because churches are full of people and people aren't perfect. And therefore you'll never find a perfect church. Um, And I've always heard it said, if you do find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it, right? Yeah, that's, I just tell you, your pastor's not perfect. Your board members aren't perfect. The people in the sound booth, they're pretty close, but they're not perfect, okay? So when we think about this idea of our church, man, I love our church because, guys, I'll give you a couple examples. This week, we prayed about it. Julie Johnson went in for a surgery. 
And it's amazing what they do. I got to talk to her yesterday. Sandra and I stopped by the house there and talked to her for a few minutes and just kind of wanted to see how she was doing and just to hear how God is moving and how God is healing. And she, I, we knock on the door and I'm thinking someone else is going to answer the door, you know. She answered the door. I was like, shouldn't you be, you know, laying down or something? Like, oh, no, 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 I need to walk X number of minutes a day and so on and so forth. And so if you guys know Julie, she'll beat this thing in two weeks. Like, she'll be back, like, doing exercises in two weeks. But, but I got to talk to her, and I saw on the side there, there was a paper with the days and the names of people that, and when we talked about this even in the office, and we said, okay, hey, we want to do some meals. Guys, I'm not kidding you. Within no time, a week of meals was done. And you might say, oh, that's cool, but that happens all the time. Guys, it's 4th of July. Like, people are coming and going, vacations and all that, and still, a week of meals, done, no problem. Because people in our church realize, you know what, it's not just a meal. It's not just a dinner. It's, I'm doing this for the gospel's sake. And you might say, wait a minute, pastor, she's already saved. No, no, it's not just that they would be receiving of the gospel, it's that they would grow in the gospel. I mentioned it at our all-in event. Alistair Begg, amazing pastor and speaker, said this. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. As believers, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day because it runs the risk, if we don't, of thinking it's all about us. Because you realize when you get to heaven, I've heard this question asked. What are you going to say if they say, why should I let you in? Well, he's not going to ask that question. He already knows, praise God. He's going to open up his book and go, yep, you're in. Come on in. And we're going to be like everyone else. We're going to go, really? I'm in? Really? Are you sure you got the right name? Might want to double check because I know me. But he makes a beautiful point. He says, listen, when we get to heaven, if that question is asked, although it won't be, but if it was, if our question starts with I, we've already missed it. It better start with Christ. Why are you here? Why should I let you in? Because of Christ. If it starts with, well, I did this and I did that and I did this. Nope. It better start with, oh, Jesus did this and Jesus did that. You see, it's not just about, we we serve those that we want to know the gospel. We serve those who are in the body of Christ as an overflow of the gospel. It's for the gospel's sake. Back in May, we were able to serve the community uh, something so simple by just getting some people together and we spread mulch at North Branch Park. We just went and we just put mulch under the playground equipment. What I loved about that, and I said this back then, and just as a reminder, this is kind of a summary or review for some of you guys who were here then and know, I love that I received a call from the guy at the parks department and said, hey, I have down that you guys did this back in like 2017. Would you be interested in having your church do that again? And I love that there's a testimony, I pray, growing in Lapeer County, that when something needs to be done, they call us. Hey, we need somebody to do a project. Who could we call? You know those North Goodland? Man, they did a great job, and they seemed willing. And you know, because of that, because they called here in a few more weeks, at the end of this month, we're going to go out into the community. We're going to have church out in the open at a park. We're going to serve. We're not just going to sit in these walls and talk about what it means to be the church. We're going to go out there and we're going to show them what it means to be the church. We're going to worship. We're going to preach God's word. And then we're going to put it into practice by doing a project right there and then. And you know what was cool? I remember the last time we did this back in 15, there was a mom and a couple kids that showed up at the park just to play because it's open to the community. And I love seeing some people in our church go over and just start talking to them. 
Now, I don't know if they fell on their face and got saved in that moment. I have no idea what happened in that conversation. But I love that instead of just being here, and this is good, by the way, this is where I feel like some people think, well, it's all about out there. It's not about the building. No, no, it's, it's not one or the other, guys. We come here to be encouraged, equipped, and challenged by the word of God to go out and serve and to serve here as well. But that Sunday morning, we're going to get to go out there and we're going to be an example. That as people who aren't in church are walking by or riding their bikes or coming to the park, we get to show them the love of Christ. And I'm so thankful that we're a church that cares to do that, that wants to do that. You see, that's why these kind of messages, I think, for our church, I pray, are just an encouragement. This is not about talking anyone into anything. It's about realizing our opportunities to serve because we are free in Christ. As we enjoy our freedom in Christ, knowing that nothing of us led to us being saved and forgiven of sin, but it was all of him and all of grace. Let us ask ourselves one important question. How are we using that freedom? How are we utilizing the freedom we have in Christ? Is it to give an indulgence to the, sin, or to the flesh, to sin? Or are we saying, nope, I'm using wisdom in my freedom and exercising freedom to serve others and make him known. When we, uh, we can realize that when we serve others, even in little things, we are glorifying him in our salvation because we serve others as we are being Christ-like in that he has served us when we didn't deserve it. When we serve others, we are being Honestly, one of the most Christ-like things we can do is serve others because we are demonstrating that he served us when we didn't deserve it. So we serve others as a reflection of his glory and his grace in us. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are so thankful for the freedom we have in you. That, Lord, it's not about what we do. It's about what you've done. And I know, Lord, that this message has been spoken to in a roundabout way over years that nothing I preached today was new. Nothing I preached today was these wonderful, crafted illustrations. It's simple, straight from your word. But there are some here today, Lord, I believe, and some watching online that grew up in churches where they were almost told you're saved by grace and kept by what you do. And Lord, I truly believe that for those that grew up in those kind of churches, that kind of teaching, we think we get out from under it, Lord, but there's so many times that we find ourselves being pulled back into it. We start honestly thinking it's about what we do that keeps us in you. Lord, I'm not talking about conviction of sin, repenting of sin. I'm not talking about the warning against giving an indulgence to the flesh. Of course, Lord, those are things that the word makes very clear we are to be guarded against. But Lord, I pray that the believers in this room and those watching online would know that they are free in Christ to enjoy what they have in you. That we don't have to fear, did we keep it today? Did we lose it? But Lord, we just have that relationship you call us into. Thank you, Father. And help us to use our freedom to serve others in and out of the church. That we might invite them into that relationship with you because it's all for the gospel's sake. Everything we do. We're free to choose, but I pray that we would choose by wisdom to serve others. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we are going to share in a time of invitation? If you'd like to come and pray, maybe God has given you an opportunity to serve in your community, in your neighborhood, and in your home, and you've been fighting it. Maybe you want to come and say, God, give me wisdom and the to use this opportunity for your glory. Whatever it is that God is doing, would you respond to him? If you don't know Christ, may today be the day of salvation as you receive his forgiveness for sin in your life.